Hello, my name is Flick Beckett and welcome to The Love of Cinema, a Picturehouse podcast proudly sponsored by Kia, the champion of independent cinema nationwide. On today's show, we were lucky enough to catch up with the multi-talented, multi-award winning musician and comedian Tim Minchin to discuss bringing back, back is the title, his first live show in eight years to the cinema. This is a song I, um, I wrote for Sarah. She does not like it. <laughs> if I didn't have you to hold me tight, if I didn't have you to lie with that night, if I didn't have you to share my sighs and to kiss me and dry my tears when I cry, well, I really think that I would have somebody else. If I didn't have you, someone else would do. So lovely to meet you, Tim, and nice welcome. Welcome to the Picture House podcast. Thanks. So we are here to talk about your return to stand-up, Back. I suppose. Which, well, yeah, because you've already done it, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, and it's, yeah, that's it's, right. It can be a bit of a... Yeah, because it is your return show, even though it's three years now. Is that right? Yeah. Well, yes, that's right. It started in 2019, but it took... I mean, I did two rounds of Australia and two rounds of the UK and COVID in the middle, so it sort of went forever. Yeah. But, yeah. It's going to be in picture houses. It's playing for one night only on the 23rd of November. So there are not many people that can say they are in sim- cinemas simultaneously with a film and a live comedy show. And I think that might be unprecedented in cinematic history. I, I hope so. It's going to, that week, I, I, I'm, I don't know yet, but I think my TV show, the season two of Upright, is dropping on Sky and now TV and back is going to cinemas and Matilda the musical movie is opening all in the same five day period that's got to be which is world records (laughs) well I've always like been quite ambitious about having a unprecedented career like (laughs) which doesn't say any doesn't speak to its quality or anything just to its variety and and there's no doubt I've I've sort of succeeded on some level because I don't I do think I am a weird mix of things but that week will sort of be the perfect representation of that that ambition to be um to go sideways sort of thing but I love it it's like who would have thought that you know the sort of when I remember you coming out as you know when you first came on our screens as sort of like a geeky emo yeah kind of I mean yeah quite curious a little yes like who would have thought world domination yeah that's right (laughs) well I knew all along that's right (laughs) but it's interesting because back the the show itself is even in and of itself is is deliberately pushing the boundaries of what it's called. I mean, I, I've never called myself a stand-up mm. for two reasons. One is that I don't, I didn't do that work, you know. I didn't do the clubs and hone my craft. I think I am quite good on stage with a microphone in my hand and I can definitely make people laugh, but it's it's not my form. Mm. I'm more a sort of cabaret artist gone wrong. and But also because I just didn't, because Brits talk about stand-up as, as, a, as a genre and I feel yes. like once you're... Once you've got that hat on, it's hard to take it off, you mm. know, once, once you're um, labelled that way. So I've always kicked back against it. And Back itself is, I mean, the, I don't really, the only comedy songs in Back, in, in the pure sense of comedy songs, mm. are like old songs, because I, I just stopped doing that. But the songs that are in Back are quirky and witty and still make people laugh, but they're, they're, they're less um, pure 
punch they're not punchliney, but the talk varies from my old sort of polemical talking about logic and all that stuff through to really actually pure stand up about you know sex and you know all that sex and god and death and all my favorite subjects yes. so so in and of itself it's a bit it's a bit hard to categorize which again is something i've worked really hard on to get to this point where when people say, oh, have you seen Tim Minchin live? And someone says, what is he, a comedian or a musician? I want them to say, oh, you just have to go see it. That, that's what I've always wanted is for me to be my own genre. Yes, because um, one of the questions I found myself writing down, which I didn't like, was how would you describe your brand of humour? Mm. But it's That's a tough question, isn't yeah, it? Because it's, it's not for me to... Yes. You, inside Out is not the right... It's, it's up for the to the audience, but certainly... As I've got older, I've sort of decided my job is not to look for the latest gag about the latest pop club. It's never been my thing to kind of go, oh, this is in the newspaper. What's my joke going to be about that? On you know, I've never been good at that. And I've never been an anecdotalist either. I don't tell stories about what happened in my life. I don't even tell them in interviews or around dinner parties. I'm not, it's not how my brain works. I'm a, an idea unpick, unpicker. And to the extent that I've been able to make my unpicking of ideas funny, that that's really my sense of humour, is the angle, the lens through which I'm trying to unpack shit. Yeah, I really get that when you say that, because um, when I listen to one of your songs, like the very first song about going down on the plane, you know, oh, like yeah. it starts off with that very real moment that we've all experienced. Like, oh, oh my God. I've got to write this, <laughs> this last doesn't feel note. right. Yeah, 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 exactly. Better tell my loved ones I yeah. sort of love them. Yeah. And then it goes off into this sort of like all these rivers of thought. And, and, and is that what you're trying to That's capture? That's a lovely way. I feel seen. That's a lovely way <laughs> to describe it. I, I, I just, I don't, I'm not very self-conscious about how I write. Mm. I, I do think my songwriting is, I have developed the style, again, for good or bad, that is, you know, it's my theatre. You know, I've always been very theatrical in my mm. songwriting. I don't go verse, chorus, verse, chorus, middle eight, chorus. Like, there's a reason I'm not on the radio. Um, my songs follow narratives, and usually they don't. Um, you don't. You, mo- most pop songs you can sort of give up on or settle into after about a minute or two. All the harmonic movement you're going to get, you've already got. All the melodies you're going to get, you're going to you've already got except for the middle eight which will be a slight variation and then it will return and you know and that's why pop songs are great you're like oh there it is we're back in that moment and my songs have structure and stuff but they tend to be still giving you new information especially lyrically until the very end and and so playing goes down is an example of this journey you're sitting in where where it starts with someone experiencing turbulence and thinking that they're, they're, they're a bit drunk and they're a bit thinking they might die and then I'm just trying to put people in that place and my job I think as a creator of stuff is to all artists perhaps is to to say isn't isn't this what the world's like and ideally the reaction you're getting is yeah it is like that but I've never thought of it like that and that's what I want to do with those songs is go you know we've all felt this feeling well, let me dig around in that, and you beautifully described it as rivers of thought. Let me take you down these little rivulets, and and hopefully they'll all feel familiar, but the emotion, whether it's laughter or tears or whatever, comes from the familiarity being reflected back at you in a, in a way you hadn't thought of, and you, you feel a bit seen or something. Completely. And and I like that the reveal in often your, your songs doesn't come to literally the last 
No, that's right. You don't that's quite know. So you have know. to wait, you yeah. know, yeah. Yeah, I think Lonely Tonight is another song that, again, is not a comedy song, but the lyrics are, um, I don't know, they make you smile, but mm. make you feel a bit emotional. I mean, we're talking about the not funny ones here. I don't want everyone to think when they go to the cinema it's all going to be sort of poetry, but it, um, Lonely Tonight's about trying not to cheat on your partner, as in the a situation that I think a lot of people get ha, have been in once or twice in their lives, uh, where they, they're loyalty is tested or they, they, they're temp, tempted in the old, you know, of course, for thousands of years we've written about temptation and it was always sort of very sexist and women were, you know, the old um, femme fatales they mm. used to call it, sirens trying to drag you onto the rocks, you know, poor men. So I'm playing with those ideas but in a really contemporary way and, and that song goes all the way down into the moment where he, I wake up the next morning having not cheated and and then it bursts out into this instrumental, which I see as like a, the orgasmic release of not having had an orgasmic release, the kind of <laughs> that, that other valuable thing, yes. you know, the, the, the bigger valuable thing, the bigger picture valuable thing of walking out of your hotel in the morning thinking, oh, I was drunk last night and there was that thing, that moment where I had to make a call. It's just a subject that I don't think people talk about, but it's very familiar to people. So. Well, that's it. You're giving us permission to sort of... You've articulated it for us. Yeah, I hope so. And, and humanised it, because, like you say, we've all had that thought, and I feel that with most of your songs, we've all had those thoughts. And most of us would stop at, I feel terrible that I had yeah, that thought. That's right. You know. I think that's been a big part of my work mm. over the years, from back when I was doing slightly edgy comedy to now being a bit more sort of, you know... I'm wearing a cashmere sweater, you know, that <laughs> says everything you need to know. Sort of more just trying to sit in my own space a bit, try, you know, not, not trying so hard. I think I'm, I'm trying to say we all think this stuff and we all think like that and it's okay and, mm. it's, and there's beauty in it. There's beauty in all these struggles and there's, um, there's something to be unpacked and, and in, in back especially I... I am talking a lot about how we don't have to put ourselves in tribes and shout at each other across the Great Divide and all that stuff as well. Let's go somewhere new. See worlds we've never seen before so that we can feel inspired. Whether you're sitting in a cinema or in one of our cars, inspiration comes when we feel something new. That's why our electrified range is designed to take you on inspiring journeys. Kia, proud supporter of independent cinema. Kia, movement that inspires. And with back, as you've curated your back catalogue, have you, have you come to any conclusions about your life and your career? Are you, oh, I wasn't so proud of that. You know, not that you would put something no, you weren't proud of in the show, no, but no, something like, you know, have, how have you evaluated your... Yeah. That's your a good question. I mean, I... That it sort of relates a lot to whether or not I'm, I see myself as a comedian and the extent to which I think I should satisfy a perceived pre-existing market. It sounds really gross, but artists often trap themselves that they call it audience capture. Mm. Podcast, podcasters especially get captured by their audience. You know, they like, oh, this got 800 downloads because I talked about, you know, fucking trans politics or something edgy and, oh, shit, well, I better talk about that all the time, you know. And in a similar way, comedians get captured by their audience because the the stuff they there's a certain thing that lands and a certain thing is less popular, and they're, they're pulled towards providing more of the stuff that is popular. 
And I've always tried to think a bit more long term, which is that I think rather than reacting to what the audience liked previously, I should just keep trying to make good stuff in, in all the different ways I can. And over the long game, that will hold me in good stead to have a long career where I can play 1,000 seat, 2,000 seat theatres till I'm 70. That's what I want. You know, I, I had that moment 10 years ago when I was playing arenas and I was very aware, even at the time, that that was not the end game for mm. me. My, my aim wasn't, let's keep arenas full. My aim was, right, I've got this audience. Where, will, where can I take them so that we can have this long relationship? So I don't so much look back on my material and go, oh, that was shit and that was good. And I just see it all as a kind of journey and the huge, huge privilege of my career which I work very, very hard on, but it's really just luck, is that I have been able, to an extent, I haven't pleased all the people all the time, but I'm sitting here now having really only been, well, God, 17 years now since I came to the UK and, and people started listening. And I have written a musical and I've written a TV show and I've acted and I've done comedy and I play these concerts which are kind of hopefully uncategorizable and I do speeches and I put out children's book and graphic novels and hopefully I'm at a point now where people just go, well, that, that's a guy you should see once in your life, you know, regardless of which bits you liked or which bits got the most hits on YouTube. It's really hard not to get captured by worrying about what bits get the best hits on YouTube and I think I've done quite well to not You have, you have, mm. because musicians particularly get completely owned by that one song. That they well, have to and play people go, oh, you know, it's not as good as their old stuff and... That's true. There's absolutely no doubt there'd be lots of people out there who who might prefer my new stuff, my old stuff better than my new stuff, that old cliche, but I, that's okay. Yes. They can listen to that. Um, and I'm not, I'm not a pretentious wanker who's like, oh, I just want to like, paint pictures of nude gorillas using my blood. Like, I'm not being obtuse. I'm not, I'm not trying to become avant-garde or isolate anyone. I just want a long career. And I think especially comedians, they, they sort of get hot and then everyone's like, oh, we get that. What's next? You know. But you strike me as a creative polymath. You know, you can't be boxed in. You are... I try. Absolutely. But it's been a genuine effort. But it, yes. that, that's a side effect, the fact that no one listened to me for 12 years or whatever. Like, it wasn't until I was 30 that anyone took notice, so I had to be a polymath to pay the bills. Yeah. So I was like playing in piano bars and wedding bands and going and doing Shakespeare in the Park and doing a bit of acting and auditioning for some advert on telly and you know and doing a bit of improv with an improv troupe all in Perth and writing for youth theatre and I, ha I had to I was just like oh I'll just keep trying stuff until something sticks and then when something stuck I went oh I'm not going to stop doing all the other stuff I love it and it all stuck that's that's just great <laughs> and I, I read a quote that um the back to has nearly killed you <laughs> and I wonder you know like where did that tour take you, like emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. like where does, you know, when you are literally putting your life and limb on the yeah. line every day, well, <laughs> at, being spat out the other end of it, where yeah. do you land? Well, I, I feel good. I mean, when I say it almost killed me, it's like it was a, a long tour and we had to span COVID and it really almost killed my manager, you know, having to adjust dates and do ticket buybacks and 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 you know when you when you're touring at like me I've got a band and a crew and I feel responsible I don't that sounds condescending but you know I employ people and when COVID hits it's not me who's I mean I I'm all right you know I'm one of the lucky ones but uh, suddenly there's people who 
who work, you know, they're a crew who work month to month, really, and they and suddenly everyone's not working. So it was sort of tumultuous and traumatic, but it was absolutely a. Um, there's definitely I, I, I want to be very clear. I don't think being doing my job is very hard compared to many many things that people do in the world, and I'm very very privileged, but. There is a certain amount of resilience that is really probably more important to how lucky I've been as a sort of that I, I've I was brought up to have a bit of resilience by which I mean uh, resilience is more important than how good your piano fingering is or, or even how good your jokes are in many ways because you have to cop um, derision you cop yeah. bad reviews and if you're like me and you you say things that um, people generally don't say you get you know I have had periods in both in Australia and England where sort of right-wing press has come after me and then there's Twitter pylons and so there's all that sort of moral resilience I, I, I believe in what I'm saying and I can I can take the slings and arrows and all that stuff that Shakespeare talked about um, and then there's just the physical tiredness and then um, performing through illness because I've never cancelled a show since somewhere in my first year that that's just I would never cancel a show unless I was you know I've literally had buckets by the side of the stage to vomit in in between bits you know and then there's there's just um keeping being energetic and creative over time it, it, you definitely when you tour there are days you don't feel like it in fact every day you wake up not feeling like it and it's a sort of eight hour journey towards or a 10 hour journey towards becoming that person who is good at that you mm. you wake up not really believing I don't really necessarily recognise the person who can get on stage in front of thousands of people and basically sort of improvise and muck around and feel totally relaxed. When I wake up any given morning, I don't feel like I'm that guy. And the journey towards being that guy involves all sorts of, you know, eat and do some exercise and, you know, like take care of yourself and, you know... Um, then get to the theatre really early and warm up and sound check and make sure you're comfortable on stage and then the makeup goes on and that's a big step towards becoming that person and then if I'm honest a a Red Bull and a glass of red wine a shot of tequila and I'm that (laughs) so yeah it's yeah that's right but yeah and if you do that for three years um, it can be quite uh, it does does require this kind of rebooting all the time but I'm surrounded by such wonderful people yes my band and my crew your team, yeah. yeah. I mean, it is. It's it's a phenomenal empire that you run without wanting to make you sound like Darth Vader <laughs> yeah, or anything. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's basically, and, uh, I'm thinking of floating myself on the stock exchange. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, you've you've got the Order of Australia as well, and mm. things that, like really great accolades. You know, and what does that mean to you at the end of the day? That must be quite I something. It, I think it does. I, you know, I'm a '90s kid. I, I was sort of brought up in the grunge era and. Um, you know, very, I've very much made my own way, as in I, I didn't get any record deals or, you know, all the agents in Australia rejected me. And so I felt a bit outside. And um, my comedy was, as I say, a bit sort of saying the unsayable and certainly the, the religious stuff. And I was anti, anti-establishment, really, yeah. a bit, uh, in a kind of overbookish way. But because of that, when... When I started getting, you know, get these sort of honorary degrees and these, these, the Order of Australia, I, I sort of my natural instincts like, oh, you know, sort of what a pompous, you know. And I think my mum said, don't you dare. That's just, who are you to sneer at this? Like, there are people out there who 
are getting an order of Australia because they spent 30 years, you know, building a children's library, you know. So check yourself a bit. She didn't sort of say it like that, but that's what I heard, and I think that's absolutely right. So, I'm, yeah, I'm, I am. It's, it's a real honour, and especially those things which acknowledge the sort of the other stuff that, that actually, with Matilda and some of my charity stuff, I'm, I actually do put a certain amount of time into trying to make sure my impact is that I'm putting good ideas out into the world and putting good out into the world, not just selling tickets. You know? I would say that's why you've got the Order of Australia, definitely. Well, I hope so. <laughs> so, um, Tim, what's next? I've got to right. wrap up now. Yeah. Yes, that's <laughs> right. I'm sorry, I talked too long. Um, so I'm writing, uh, so Upright Season 2 comes out and Madura the movie comes out and Bat goes to cinemas and then I guess we'll stream somewhere. I'm writing a new TV show that I'm not allowed to talk about. That's um, a lot of hard work friend of mine had an idea some years ago and it's sort of we've got a production company on board so hopefully that'll film next year and then it's just about trying to keep all the balls in the air I'd love to put out another album in the next you know hopefully in the next two years and I must write another musical I mean that's probably the thing I'm that's probably the skill set that is least common it's uh, writing musicals is hard and I love it but um they take a long time so it's easy to keep pushing them back but yeah, it's just about this obsession I have with variety. I've sort of done it all now. I don't, I don't feel any desire to push out into any further genres. Although I suppose I'll write a book one day when I'm feeling self-indulgent. But um, I have enough different sort of things I'm trying to do that now, even if I just sort of did one more tour and one more album and one more musical and you know, I, that that's ten years really. And one um, more film, please. And one more film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I just... And then, of course, the big one, which is to balance this obsession I have with work and with being not a shit dad and things very like important. holidays, which I'm very, very bad at. And my wife's trying to work on helping me get better at planning breaks and all that stuff. For sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank um, you so thank much you. for joining us today on the Picture House me. podcast. Bye. Bye. <laughs>